Production. Recorded live.
if the exact same thing was applied in any other situation? And how would it be responded to in that other situation? Mm -hmm. Here we go. So, he said, of course, in um, his opinion piece, and that USA Today had the gall to actually print here that, it, that his, he, they printed his belief. I, I'm, I'm so flustered, I can't even speak here, my friends. That's how upset I am. He said that Muslims, quote, do not believe in the concept of freedom of expression, end quote. And then he suggested that the news outfit that was targeted for attacks had it coming. Yeah, had it coming. We have an instant message here. Let's see what this has to say. Um, yeah, 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 that's, that's a good point. Just, just apply the same thing to the Thuggin Ferguson or Trayvon Martin and, or all the other thugs that have been shot out there. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, my critical thinking skills. Do not look strictly at the face of something. Read it, listen to what someone's saying, and go, hmm, what if we was to apply that exact same principle over here? Would that fly? Oh, no, 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 you can't do it over there, because I'm talking about something here. This is my holy cow here. Thou shalt not gore it. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. He went on to say, this Muslim cleric, it's open season when it comes to attacking Islam and Muslims, and this particular magazine for years has been satirizing under the guise of satirizing. Wow. Um, end quote, by the way. Wow. Um, you know how I do a special, a very special disclaimer on the first Monday of every month? And part of it I say that the satire I used to do as satire, well, I still do it as satire, but it's now become the new hate crime. Yeah, the new thought crimes. Yeah. This, and this is exactly what the <clears throat> good <clears throat> Muslim cleric is saying. They've been satirizing under the guise of satirizing. Uh-huh. He then says, quote, this is a euphemism for attacking the honor of... Sorry. Got a little bit choked up there. Let's try that again. This is a euphemism for attacking the honor... <coughs> Muhammad, <laughs> uh, the man who raped children, uh, um, who killed thousands of people, uh, etc. The honor? Uh, right. He then concluded, the French embassies around the world knew an attack was coming because the prophet said, oh, oh, here we go, oh, here we go, here we go. He finally said it. The prophet said, this is a quote from the good Muslim cleric. The prophet said, whoever insults the prophet, kill him 
It was an inevitable response, end quote. Right. Honor of the messenger. Well, finally, my friends, we wonder why this happened. Well, here's a little clue. Six times, not five, not four, not three, six times the Bio administration has said its job was to promote Islam. Would you like to hear all six times? Yeah, you do. I know you do. So let's talk about all six times. On Thursday, White House Press Secretary Josh Ernst announced that the Bio administration would be prioritizing fighting Islamophobia in the aftermath of the terrorist attack on Charlie Hebdo in France. Never mind that most Westerners aren't Islamophobic, but rather getting shot in the face for expressing my opinion phobic. The real problem, the real problem, according to the BO administration, is a lack of leadership in defending Islam. Quote, there are some individuals that are using a peaceful religion. <coughs> a peaceful religion and grossly distorting it. No, we're defining it. Anyway, and trying to use its tenets to inspire people around the globe to carry out acts of violence. That's what they do. 1,400 years of experience teaches us this. But anyway, I digress. And we have enjoyed significant success in enlisting leaders in the Muslim community. Really? Like I said, both in the United States and around the world, to condemn that kind of messaging. Really? To condemn those efforts to radicalize individuals. Really? And to be clear about what the tenets of Islam actually are. Really? And we're going to redouble those efforts in the days and weeks ahead. Well, this, of course, is not the first time the Beale administration has discovered a duty to illuminate the inherent beauty and wonder of Islam. Over and over again, the Beale administration in a highly cultural, imperialist dungeon has attempted to explain to the world the true meaning of Islam. I said there were six. That was one. Here's five others. President Obama in 2009, immediately upon taking office, Obama did an interview with Al Arabiya in which he explained that his job as president encompassed apologizing to the Muslim world for evil America and explaining to Americans that Muslims are the cream of the religious crop. Yeah, my job is to communicate to the American people that the Muslim world is filled with extraordinary people who simply want to blow themselves, oh, to live their lives and see their children blow themselves, oh, no, to, to live their lives. My job is to, to the Muslim world is to communicate that the Americans are not your enemy. Yeah. If you forgot, the provision of Article 2 of the Constitution that gives the President the authority to do outreach on behalf of Islam in the United States, 
that's because it doesn't exist. But don't worry, B.O.'s on the job. President Obama, 2009, is speaking about Islam at Cairo University on June 4, 2009, a speech to which the B.O. administration invited the then-banned Muslim Brotherhood. He stated, So I have known Islam in three continents before coming to the region where it was first revealed. That experience guides my conviction that partnership between America and Islam must be based on what Islam is, not what it isn't, and I consider it part of my responsibility as President of the United States to fight against negative stereotypes of Islam whenever they appear. Now, if you forgot the provision, in Article 2 of the Constitution that places responsibility for fighting negative stereotypes of Islam in the hands of the executive branch, well, that's because it doesn't exist. But don't worry, Beatles on the job. NASA Administrator Charles Bowden in 2010, speaking with Al Jazeera, the head of NASA explained that the mission of the space agency would now include outreach to Muslims. He said, when I became the NASA administrator, President Obama charged me with three things. One, he wanted me to help re-inspire children to want to get into science and math. He wanted me to expand our international relationships. And third, and almost foremost, he wanted me to find a way to reach out to the Muslim world and engage much more with dominantly Muslim nations to help them feel good about their historic contribution to science, math, and engineering. And he said this with a straight face. If you forgot the provision of the National Aeronautics and Space Act, NASA, that grants authority to NASA to make Muslims feel good about medieval contributions to astronomy, well, that's because it doesn't exist. But don't worry, Obama's on the job. B.O., 2012, in the aftermath of the murder of four Americans in Benghazi, Libya, B.O. took to the podium of the United Nations to condemn a YouTube filmmaker in the United States exercising freedom of speech. Quote, a crude and disgusting video sparked outrage through the Muslim world. Now I made it clear the United States government had nothing to do with this video. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read the rest of it. I can't read the rest of it. I want to throw up. If you forgot the provisions of the First Amendment of the Constitution that gives the President of the United States the authority to officially criticize, exercise of First Amendment rights under color of authority, well, that's because it doesn't exist. But don't worry on the job. Secretary of State John Kerry, 2014, last year, as ISIS released video after video of beheadings of Westerners, Secretary of State John Kerry, who, by the way, served in Vietnam, explained that his mission was to promote true Islam, which makes perfect sense given his status as an Amman of Martha's Vineyard. Our effort, he said, has to start major efforts to delegitimize ISIS claim to some religious foundation for what they're doing and to begin to put real Islam out there and draw the lines through that region. Well, if you forgot the provision of Article 2 that lends authority to the Secretary of the State Department to, quote, begin to put real Islam out there, end quote, presumably in violation of the separation of church and state, well, that's because it doesn't exist. But don't worry, Obama's on the job. Even as the Obama administration pretends to push true Islam, 
The BO administration completely ignored the words of Egyptian leader General Abdul Fattah al-Si, who said just days ago, called for a, quote, religious revolution, end quote, in the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. He said, I say and repeat again that we are indeed in need of a religious revolution. You imams are responsible for before Allah. The entire world is waiting on you. The entire world is waiting for your word because the Islamic world is being torn. It is never being, it is being destroyed. It is being lost. It is being lost by our own hands. It's inconceivable that the thinking that we hold most sacred should cause the entire Islamic world to be a source of anxiety, danger, killing, and destruction for the rest of the world. Impossible that this thinking, and I'm not saying the religion, I'm saying this thinking, this antagonizing the entire world, it's antagonizing the entire world. Does that mean that 1.6 billion Muslims should want to kill the rest of the world's inhabitants? That's 7 billion, so that they themselves may live? That's impossible. Well, al-Sisi seems significantly more qualified to lead an educational effort about Islam than Barack Obama. But for the BO administration to recognize the truth of al-Sisi's statement would suggest that their own ignorance about Islam has prevented them from, well, effective change for the past six years. And that is an admission that BO and his lackeys refuse to make, given their deeply held belief that Islam isn't the problem in any way. There you go, my friends. Now, in response to all the above, I read the following that I'm going to share with you from a blog. And I've been given permission, personal permission, by the blogster himself, to share this as far and as wide as I want, as long as I do it in total. Well, it's so good, that will not be a problem. And I encourage everyone to share this and spread it around For if you don't, then don't complain about the demise of common sense. Because here that is. Here's what this blogster had to say. Enough! Exclamation mark. I've heard enough, or too much, whatever. People, quit following the liars. Quit believing that the mass media reports the news in your best interest. Somebody out there has a real agenda, and it's not the ultra-conservative right. It's not the Christian right. Oh, they may want to limit the movies you watch, or what's on the shelves at the school library, but mostly they just want you to stand up and be morally accountable, to accept that the things you do, say, and think have moral consequences. No, the agenda I'm talking about comes from the extremist leftists. Sorry, my left-leaning friends, they say they care, that they are the party of compassion, that they want to look out for the little people. That's BS. They want to control you, to control everything you say, everything you do, everything you think, where you work, what sort of work is acceptable, how much or how little you should be paid. This party on the left, the one that claims compassion, that claims to represent the little guy, wants to control plain and simple. And to get it there, they are willing to tear down the very fabric of our society, our culture, our heritage, our faith. They teach that conservatives want things either black or white, that it doesn't accept shades of gray. Well, you know, 
that there really are things that are either black or white, things that are either truth or lies, things that are either right or wrong. There isn't any need for shades of gray in those matters. Any person willing to use their mind should be able to distinguish the difference. So now we come to it. Are people able to use their own minds? Or are they willing to accept the swill, the pig slop, the BS that the big media constantly tries to feed them? Look at an event that occurred just a few days ago. You've all heard at least some of it. Islamic terrorists armed with RPGs, fully automatic AKs, and other combat-type weapons slaughtered innocent people in Paris, France. When the French police arrived on their bicycles, they went armed with nightsticks. No firearms, because France has some of the tightest gun laws in all of Western society. That's right, French police, at least in Paris, don't carry firearms. They took their nightsticks on their bicycles up against terrorists armed with real assault weapons. Not the BS assault weapons so often crusaded against in the U.S., but real, full-auto combat weapons. The end results were predictable. Several French policemen were assassinated by the terrorists. And what was the American response? Well, Bloomberg calls for tiger gun control. The great bastion of American journalism, the New York Times, prints op-ed pieces expressing concern that Americans might react in anti-Islamic ways. USA Today prints an opinion piece from a self-avowed radical Muslim cleric in London explaining how we as members of Western civilization are to blame and that the Islamic terrorists are only acting the way they do because of all the wrongs done to them by us of the West. Is the picture getting any clearer? Are you being told black is white, up is down, left is right, dark is light, and the good little sheep of the country get in line and follow the Judas goat to the slaughter, wake up. Wake up. Your leaders, your press, your teachers, your school boards are selling you down the river. As sure as any black slave was sold in 1845, and unless you start thinking for yourself, rejecting the BS, you're being told to believe we are doomed. This won't become the liberal utopia you've dreamed of. This will be the most evil, draconian, controlling uh, autocracy you can imagine. There you have it, my friends. Common sense. Now, I am sure that this blogger is going to be sought out and looked for and probably harassed and harried and maybe even killed for just even daring to pen such a thing. And now that we have this Muslim cleric who is declared insane, oh, the criticism of the Prophet Muhammad, you know, it's that's a death penalty offense, and he makes no apologies about saying this. This is what we have, my friends. And for me pointing it out, that makes me Islamophobic? Really? Seriously? Uh-huh. That's what we're facing, my friends. That's what we're facing. Rather sad, isn't it? Okay. Um, when we come back, I'm going to get to the links of interest, our real critical thinking segment, and then the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare, which I think is 
right where you're at because we will be right back. get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 541- Two two five four six five nine. That's five four one two two five four six five nine. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, Emroy Ben Shubler. Let's get right into it. Links of interest. We got 16 of them for you this week, my, my friends. 
the links of interest, for those of you who are new listeners to this show, the links of interest, these are things that they're, they're important to consider. They're important to think about and to read about and understand, but I just don't have time to get to them, but I don't want you to be without them. So we got 16 of them this week. The first one, what do you call it when 14 Florida counties stop having courthouse weddings entirely? Perhaps a really good start, you know, and read why. Number 15, remember that Rolling Stone article over college rape? Well, it seems that it goes a lot deeper than anyone thought. Read about it right here, my friends. Number 14, more on all that lost money from the bailout that the libturds like to say was paid in full. Yeah, the government says how it only lost about $926 billion on just the auto bailout alone. Yeah. Number 13, journalist busted in Ferguson fights back in court for being a journalist. Yeah, he was arrested because he was a journalist. Yeah, I understand that one pretty darn well, my friends, because that's what I was arrested for, being a journalist, in essence. Uh, But anyway, I digress. Number 11 and 12. (laughs) Oh, gas. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Nothing makes me laugh as hard as leftists whining about being stuck with the consequences of their own stupidity. Both stories about liberal Harvard faculty upset by rising health insurance costs due to Obamacare. Yeah, two different stories about that. Oh, oh, it is a real gut buster, my friends, to read it and hear how they are just, they're just so sick about how little they're going to have as a deduction compared to the rest of America, but they're going to have to pay a deductible at all. Oh, it's just terrible. After all, B.O. said it would be free. Yeah. Number 10, gross injustice at Duke University. Accused rapist convicted via, get this, indirect double hearsay. And he's convicted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Number nine. Wow. You know, if this was Joe Citizen instead of a cop, how would this story read about the irresponsible gun owner of a day who shoots himself while in the elevator with his wife? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Number eight. This is going to be, whoops, I went too far. This is going to be, Bad news for a lot of people. Food stamp enrollment will fall one million next month due to stricter requirements. Okay, it's like this is going to be bad news for a lot of people. Number seven. This is another of one for the axiom of no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, son sent to prison for beating his father defending his mother from the father. Mm -hmm. Number six, the full video demonstrates police officers 
Palestine indifference to the boy they had wrongly shot, the two cops allowed him to bleed for several minutes, and the first person to administer aid to the boy was actually an FBI agent who happened to be upon the scene while the officers stood around doing nothing. And it gets worse, my friends. You've got to read the whole article. Number five, another blah-ha-ha-ha-ha, the Reverend Al Sharpton's Viagra prescription found and where it was found. You've got to read this article to find out, my friends. Oh, boy, this is even better than Rush Limbaugh's Viagra story. Oh, wow. This is you know, it's really classy, my friends. And by classy, I mean trashy, of course, but, but you get my point here. Number four, you know, even when you <clears throat> obey the orders of the police, they're still exonerated for shooting you. And for all those who say, well, if you don't want to get shot by a cop, obey their orders. Well, tell that to Richard Ramirez's son, who will not get to see his daddy as he grows up because supposedly Richard touched his waist. Of course, that part of the altercation was off-camera and is unsupported by the other peeps that were in the car. And then we learn that this is not the first time this particular cop has shot and killed someone under equally suspicious circumstances. Yeah. Number three, got to see this to believe it. And partisan, partisan, Pardon, sorry, pardon me for noticing, but please do notice the <clears throat> color of the skin of those holding up this sign. Yeah, it's a, a new Black Lives Matter picture that's uh, really taking the Internet by storm. And number two, well, Ferguson protesters despicably crash a medal ceremony. For a 100-year-old World War II vet. Yeah, real classy. But way to keep it classy out there. And finally, number one. Um, media farters on America, you know, the, you know that one of those two main agencies that I know listen to this show every single week from their quiet room in the mental hospital that they're locked in. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up how Media Matters for America was found, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Well, they posted this thing about uh, 46 examples of Muslim outrage about what happened in, in France. Well, I read, <laughs> I read all 46 examples, and the big names on the list, like Carr and others like them, well, I keep going back to what they've said over the years when talking directly to their people and how it is in direct opposition to what they are now saying about this incident. And then I read all those who say, well, I'm a moderate Muslim and I condemn this action. Well, what media farters on America seems to forget is that we're looking for condemnation from groups that have consistently and irrevocably spoken as officials of Islam who say the same thing when preaching to their people. Uh-huh, yeah. When I see that, when I see them doing consistent and irrevocable condemnation, 
was an explanation of how the first half of the Quran or the Quran is blatantly contradicted by the latter half that starts out, the second half starts out with all the previous is overturned and is now supplanted by this and explain why the latter half are multiple references to the concept of Tikea and Kitman and why they aren't excised from this book. Hmm? You know? Why these concepts are preached? Hmm? Well, these 46 examples, well, that's why they're outside Islam. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. you got to read it, myself. you got to read it really seriously. Okay, critical thinking statement. From a blog I read, and yes, this is about Portland, Oregon, okay? But listen to what this author says. And think about all those stories that I've done about the federal government systematically sticking their hands in local police affairs and how they, they then my hop the whole thing of things that are happening, okay? This is how it got started in Portland. It's just an example so you understand. Because this is how it happens everywhere, but this is Portland, okay? Local control, the blogster writes, means a lot to most voters who give a darn because they know that the greater the distance between citizens and decision makers, the less likely you are to get what you voted for. Now, consider how Portland runs the most important thing cities do, public safety. A few years ago, the rocket scientists at City Hall decided to invite the Obama Justice Department to come in and tell them what the police bureau is doing wrong. Justice wasn't, was happy to tell Portland. And get this, the 187 things it must change. Portland police now operate under a consent decree of their own invention. Compliance has already cost millions of dollars that would have been better spent on personnel, pistols, and, well, maybe some education at the cop shop. It also puts faceless, unelected bureau rats 2,000 miles away in charge of how law enforcement is done here. And this week, the city council, it votes spending more money to hire consultants from the University of Illinois to tell the city how it's complying with federal decree. It doesn't matter whether you voted for Charlie, Amanda, Steve, or Dan in the last election, because they're not in charge of police here in Havana on the Willamette. President Obama and the professors from Champlain, they're the ones who are calling the shots. There's your critical thinking segment. Okay, now it's time for the Roy School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W for Learn and Win Through a Better Education. This is from... Uh, Charles G. Koch and Mark V. Holden. Yes, one of the Koch brothers, my friends. So it's evil, evil, nasty Koch brothers. Yeah. Well, let's see how evil these are, shall we? It's entitled The Overcriminalization of America How to Reduce Poverty and Improve Race Relations by rethinking our justice system. <clears throat> they, they write, saying, as Americans, we like to believe the rule of law in our country is respected and fairly applied. But that, 
but that only those who commit crimes of fraud or violence are punished and imprisoned. But the reality is often different. It is surprisingly easy for otherwise law-abiding citizens to run afoul of the overwhelming number of federal and state criminal laws. This proliferation is sometimes referred to as overcriminalization, which affects us all but most profoundly harms our disadvantaged citizens. Overcriminalization has led to the mass incarceration of those ensnared by our criminal justice system, even though such imprisonment does not always enhance public safety. Indeed, more than half of federal inmates are nonviolent drug offenders. Enforcing so many victimless crimes inevitably leads to conflict between our citizens and law enforcement, as we have seen all too often. It can place our police officers in harm's way, leading to tragic consequences for all involved. How did we get to this situation? Listen up, my friends, because this guy, he's laying it out pretty darn good here. Pretty good here. There's some things here that I'm like, yeah, right. Mm -hmm." But anyway, he goes, how did we get to this situation? It began with well-intentioned lawmakers who went overboard trying to solve perceived or actual problems. Congress creates, on average, more than 50 new criminal laws each year. Over time, this is translated into more than 4,500 federal criminal laws spread across 27,000 pages of the United States Federal Code. And this number does not include the thousands of criminal penalties in federal regulations. As a result, the United States is the world's largest jailer, first in the world for total number in prison, and first among industrialized nations In the rate of incarceration, the United States represents about 5% of the world's population, but houses about 25% of the world's prisoners. We have paid a heavy price for mass incarceration and could benefit by reversing this trend. It has been estimated that at least 53% of those entering prison were living at or below the U.S. poverty line when their sentence began. Incarceration leads to a 40% decrease in annual earnings, reduced job tenure, and higher unemployment. A Pew Charitable Trust study revealed that two-thirds of former inmates with earnings in the bottom fifth upon release in 1986, remained at or below that level 20 years later. A Villanova University study concluded that, quote, had mass incarceration not occurred, poverty would have decreased by more than 20% or about 2.8 percentage points, end quote. And, quote, several million fewer people would have been in poverty 
in recent years, end quote. Black Americans, I'm not going to say the way he puts it, because there is no such thing as African Americans. They're, they're black or they're, they're, they're white, but they're still Americans. Hello? Black Americans who make up around 13% of the U.S. population, and he doesn't say it, but I will say it, and that number would be closer to 30% if it hadn't been for Margaret Sanger's uh, uh, Planned Parenthood, you know, but I digress, who make up 13% of the U.S. population but account for almost 40% of the inmates are significantly affected by these issues. According to Harvard sociologist Bruce Western, quote, prison has become the new poverty trap. It has become a routine event for poor black American men and their families, creating an enduring disadvantage at the very bottom of American society, end quote. Reversing over-criminalization and mass incarceration will improve societal well-being in many respects, most notably by decreasing poverty. Today, approximately 50 million people, about 14% of the population, are at or below the U.S. poverty rate. Fixing our criminal system could reduce the overall poverty rate by as much as 30%, dramatically improving the quality of life throughout society, especially for the disadvantaged. To bring about such a transformation, we must all set aside partisan politics and collaborate on solutions. This is why we have partnered with the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers for more than 10 years to bring about positive changes in our justice system. We support a five-step approach to criminal justice reform. First, do no more harm. Legislators must resist the temptation to criminalize activities that do not fit a common-sense understanding of what is a crime. Criminal laws should not impose liability if the accused did not knowingly and willfully intend to commit a bad act. Now, my friends, I will remind you that I have told you about how Congress has deliberately removed willfulness from many crimes. That, that has been, for the longest time, the first tenet of any crime, that you willfully... In fact, that, that was the way... <clears throat> The alleged indictment against yours truly read that willfully engaged in this and willfully engaged in that, yet they never showed any willfulness in trial, but I digress. This is being removed. This concept is being removed. And this explosion of criminal laws has led to imposing liability on activities that ordinary citizens would have no reason to believe would be criminal, such as converting a wild donkey into a private donkey or bathing in the Arkansas Hot Springs National Park without a doctor's note or agreeing to take mail to the post office but not dropping it off. Yeah, these things are now criminal activities, my friends. 
It has led to criminal liability for amateur arrowhead collectors who had no idea their hobby could be a federal crime, as well as criminal charges and a conviction for a former Indy 500 champion who got lost while snowmobiling during a blizzard and unwittingly ended up on federal land. Yeah. Second, we must address prosecutorial abuses, especially in the discovery and grand jury process. Even the late Senator Ted Stevens fell victim to prosecutorial abuse in his trial when during the discovery process, federal prosecutors systematically concealed evidence that supported the senator's defense and testimony. Prosecutors must disclose all evidence favorable to the accused to ensure that every American should be treated equally and fairly under the law, whether the accused is a disadvantaged urban teenager or a wealthy corporate executive. Third, we must ensure that all those charged with a crime receive their Sixth Amendment right to representation. Inadequate or no legal representation results in devastating consequences for criminal defendants and their families. Now, this, this one, my friends, is kind of near and dear to my heart, as you might imagine, except he talks about lawyers, but not realizing that he doesn't mean lawyers. What he's really saying is attorneys who are not counsel. Yeah. Instead, he wants representation. Representation is not counsel. You're not guaranteed by the Constitution representation. You're guaranteed counsel. They do not mean the same thing. So I understand what he's saying, but he really needs to think about exactly what he is saying because he certainly is not saying the right thing. But I digress. Fourth, end unduly harsh sentences and a uh, resulting disparity by eliminating mandatory minimum sentences that dictate punishment unrelated to the nature or harm of the underlying crime and facts. We must honor the ideal of the punishment fitting the crime by allowing judges to exercise discretion. And finally, after sentences served, we should restore all rights to youthful and nonviolent offenders such as those involved in personal drug use violations. If ex-offenders can't get a job, education, or housing, how can we possibly expect them to have a productive life? And why should we be surprised when more than half of the people released from prison are again incarcerated within three years of their release? Well, actually, I can answer that last uh, point there, uh, Mr. Koch, uh, and that is the your standard probation is three years, and 90% of those that are uh, have their first parole violation that ends up uh, with them uh, going back to prison occur like in the last two months of their probation. 
oh, surprise, surprise, surprise. Oh, we've got to justify our existence. Let's get this guy and, and nail him, which is why yours truly worked so hard to make sure that I got off of it before that three-year period ran up, my friends. Well, hopefully, he concludes, or the both of them concludes, Every lawmaker and committed citizen will support these proposed reforms. Overcriminalization leads to mass incarceration, undermines race relations, and ultimately keeps more people in poverty. We believe the proposed reforms will improve well-being for all Americans, especially the most disadvantaged. Now, for the again. For those of you who don't know who these people are, I'll tell you. Charles G. Koch is the chairman and board and CEO of Koch Industries, and Mark V. Holden is general counsel and senior vice president of Koch Industries. So these guys are speaking and doing a pretty good job, not perfect, okay, but a pretty good job of at least making the situation aware for a vast majority of people that are not aware of just how bad the situation actually is. Because it is that bad, my friends. It's, it's actually worse than that, as the old expression goes. So, anyway, I'm feeling much better now. And for those of you that weren't around uh, or for the beginning of the show, as I opened up, I said that I was in a little bit of a funk today because the 10th would have been my father's 80th birthday, and it just got me a little depressed over the weekend. But now now that I've done this, I'm feeling a lot better now about life and, and the future and et cetera, and I hope you are too, and I, I hope I didn't cough and laugh too much for you because some of this stuff was... You either got to laugh or cry, my friends, and today I decided I wanted to laugh at it, and I hope you laughed with me, because if you don't, the alternative is insanity, and I certainly don't want that, that's for sure. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Until next week, my friends, keep your powder dry. Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply.
action, one fell swoop. We are live on the air. It's the Contenders for the Faith Radio broadcast. I'm Pastor Anthony Christie. Good to have you along with us tonight. Uh, we are a show that's dedicated to tackling controversy and conspiracy directly related to Christianity. We do all these things from a biblical perspective. From politics to pop culture, we believe the Bible has all the answers. All the answers. Now, we don't claim to have all the answers, although sometimes we pretend to. But we do know the Bible has all the answers, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to lean on that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart is what the Bible says. Lean not unto thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Well, it's about five minutes after, six minutes after the top of the hour, and uh, it's a lovely January the 12th, 2015, and uh, a little bit wet outside. Yeah, we do get rain out here every once in a while, and we did get it. We'll take all the moisture we can get, just as long as it's not too much snow. I can tolerate the rain. The snow, on the other hand, it looks beautiful, but it's got to go, man. It's got to melt. For those of you out in the Midwest and the North, I, I feel for you. I really do, but there are treasures in the snow according to the scriptures. <sighs> just for me, I have to look really hard for them. Anyhow, good to have you along with us tonight. Uh, let me give you this announcement before we get into the topic hour. In fact, I've got two topics that I want to deal with. First hour, I want to talk about... Is it right for Christians to make fun of other people? Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about that. It's right to make fun of other people. I, you know, <clears throat> I've always wanted to know about that. And uh, so this could be offensive in just a little bit. Or, you know, you might just think I'm a softie and walk away. And then the second half of the hour, I'm going to talk about why, why we are consumed with controlling money in the churches. I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, what are the driving forces behind that? And I'll explain that in the second half of the broadcast. Before I get to that, I do want to invite folks to our 20th annual Mugiom Baptist Fellowship meetings. That's our 20th annual Mugiom Baptist Fellowship meetings. We kind of we combine a bunch of things during the meetings. Usually we'll have some Baptist history, and of course we'll have some hellfire and brimstone preaching, and, uh, and of course during our meetings, we always do an update and an emphasis on the Ecclesiastical Law Center on Tuesday, sometimes on Wednesday as well in the mornings. We do uh, sessions uh, about uh, where the Ecclesiastical Law Center is as far as what they're handling, legalities and all that stuff, and, uh, and, and where the church should be according to the Word of God, not according to the Ecclesiastical Law Center. We just appreciate their ministry uh, they're just pastors helping pastors, but um, uh, we do updates on Tuesday morning for the men, and we'll have some teaching along those lines, because this is something that is lost amongst the churches today. It was understood in the early days of this country, and since the church has existed, since Acts 2, it has been understood that the church should always be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But in America... We should understand it more than ever, and we've lost that today. We have no concept of what a church is supposed to be. We'll talk about that on Tuesday morning, February 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Now, the 24th is Tuesday morning, men's meeting, and then after our men's meeting, we go off bowling. That's right. It's our 20th annual Muggillon Baptist Fellowship meetings, and we're going to have preaching each night uh, starting at 6 p.m., two preachers, and then, uh, of course, we'll have dinner, we'll have lunch provided here at the church, 
That's you just come on up, folks. Get a free meal at least. And uh, preaching in the evening, special music. Sunday we'll have Pop Providence. That's our um, equivalent of potluck, only better, because we believe that what people bring to our uh, dinner on the grounds at church was providentially established by the Lord God. It's supposed to bring what God tells you. Now, not always, though. Some people don't bring anything, and they should have. And it's just, you know, we should be fellowshipping with one another. It's First Corinthians chapter 11. And you look it up. And by the way, one of these days, when Jesus Christ takes us home to glory, we'll fellowship around the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, And I certainly look forward to that. For one thing, Uncle Nick, we're not gaining a pound when we eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, LT, you know, you eat all those broths, man, and I know it's, it's you know, it's red meat lean, all that stuff, but still, there's always that chance that something could be undercooked. On the other hand, when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, everything will be perfect. You won't gain a pound, you won't get sick, it'll be perfect food by the perfect Savior, and it'll be a perfect setting. Looking forward to that day, but until then, we're just preparing for it. February 22nd through the 25th. February 22nd through the 25th, we've got uh, four speakers that are going to be with us. Um, Pastor Keith Hoover, the uh, Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church in Union City, Indiana. He's also the son of Pastor Mike Hoover, who pastors the Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church in Stampers Creek, Indiana. Um, he'll be preaching for us. He's the assistant director of the Ecclesiastical Law Center. Also, we have Pastor Dan Zyke of the Old Pabs Historic Baptist Church. He's been a guest host on this show. Uh, he pastors up in Oregon. For those of you who are looking for a Lordship Church up there in Oregon, I encourage you to look him up, Tualatin, Old Paths Historic Baptist Church. He'll be with us with his whole families, and uh, Evangelist Stephen Perkins will be with us as well. Uh, you don't want to miss that. He's a great preacher, preaches on the family, uh, encourages husbands and wives to have a strong relationship and children to obey their parents and learn the Word of God, be strong so that we have something for the next generation. A lot of Christian homes today are losing their children, and they're losing them as fast, as fast as they can be produced. I'm promising you, folks, Christians, it, it, it just, they tend each generation to be a little bit weaker, and we don't need that. We need stronger Christians, stronger families, families that do devotions, families that actually love their children, have their son and daughter's hearts, and training them to be good, productive citizens in the ever-darkening society that is coming and that we're a part of right now. Uh, Evangelist Stephen Perkins will be preaching for us, and uh, missionary John Keyford of Mexico and his family will be up here with us. Great man of God, great preacher. You don't want to miss it. Four great preachers. They'll be preaching each night. This will be a great time, folks. If you're here, it's all great. I keep saying the word great. That's uh, overkilling the word great. That's just great, isn't it? Anyways, you want to be here for that, February 22nd through the 25th. February 22nd through the 25th. And uh, come hear some good preaching. Good preaching. Preachers that haven't bowed the knee to bail, if you would. Uh, preachers that uh, understand where you're at and to put the message right where you're at. A lot of people don't like that either. A lot of people don't like that either. They don't like preaching right where you're at. They don't like preaching right where you're sitting. They don't like preaching that gets to the problems in your homes. They don't like that. And uh, But these guys, they'll be doing it. I want to encourage you. You want to tune, uh, you, you want to be here. Also, we'll live stream it. If you want to jump onto our website, paceandfirstbaptistchurch.net, um, jump onto our website, register up with the website, and then I'll approve, and you can listen on live stream. Now, Monday night of the 23rd, February the 23rd, 
Uh, we normally have our broadcast, but we will, on Monday the 23rd, broadcast live our services here at Payson First Baptist Church. So it's February 23rd through the tw- or February 22nd through the 25th, our February meetings. The 23rd, we will broadcast the service that Monday night right here on the American Voice Radio Network. So there you go. Put it on your calendars. Come see us if you're out on this side of the Mississippi. If you're on the other side of the Mississippi, start driving now. You're welcome, though. We'd love to have you. We really would. If you want some good preaching, we would love to have you. All right, to the topic of the hour. To the topic of the hour. Now, as you know, as you know, um, last week, a uh, satirical magazine uh, headquarters or office, was attacked by Muslims. Now, I, I, I really struggle with whether or not I should address this, but it, it is the one of the top news stories, and it does affect us in a way. Now, Wednesday night after the attack, I had services here at our church, and uh, I started reading how... Um, uh, I started reading how how our society has been affected by the Muslims. I mean, even the Twin Towers, when the Twin Towers went down, folks, I know that there are a lot of um, controversies swirling about the Twin Towers when they went down. By the way, it changed our country radically. But, um, and, and, and there are a lot of questions that, don't, that haven't been answered, and it's, it's very clear to me um, that there was an inside job. But here's the problem. When those Twin Towers went down, whether it was an inside job or not, or whether George Bush flew the planes into the Twin Towers, I mean, several Muslim groups put their hand up and claimed it. All right? So they claimed it. And it was Muslims that attacked this, uh, this, this office in Paris. I think it was Charlie uh, Haddo or Hadbo or Hadu or something like that. Hadu, and that's what it is. Anyway, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But anyway, they attacked, um, let's see, 12 were killed. And then I think uh, 11 were wounded, two police officers were shot dead, and, um, and basically what the magazine had done was put out a few cartoons making fun of Islam, making fun of Muhammad. And one of the shooters actually said there, this is, this is for what you've done, all right? This is what you've done. Uh, this is what you get for making fun of the great prophet Muhammad, Al-Akbar, they shouted, and then there was a manhunt and all that stuff and all that foolishness that, that swirled around that. And I mentioned this on Wednesday night in our church. So should we make fun of this? In fact, several articles have, uh, have, have come out in the news about uh, different newspapers reprinting the uh, uh, caricatures of the prophet Muhammad. Um, in fact, um, I guess... There were three million copies that were put out from this French satirical weekly with defiant characters of or characters of Prophet Muhammad, and they're putting it all over the place and they're saying, "Look, we are we're not going to bend, and uh, we're going to put out these uh, humorous cartoons and making fun of you and so on and so forth." And so I mentioned this on Wednesday night. What do we Christians do? What do we Christians do? I mean, is this right to? Uh, to write cartoons and make fun of people. And I, I'm being serious now, okay? I'm being serious. There are a lot of Christians out there that get very upset. In fact, I, uh, I, was, I, was, I was looking at one article about whether or not Christians should say anything in jest or mock. 
uh, towards other religions, especially Islam. And this is what they said. Religion is such a sensitive subject that any two people with different beliefs would feel the other is mocking them. For instance, if I shared my beliefs to an atheist about heaven or hell, they would come back at me saying there's no such thing, and both of us would feel their, that sense of wanting to prove our point. Because for most people who have beliefs, that is the core of your life. And for someone to tell you it is wrong, it's like laughing at everything you live for and believe in. I do not understand why some people need to bash others, though. This is pure hatred and ugliness. Pure hatred and ugliness. And by the way, this is becoming the, um, the norm for society. All right? Uh, literally, political correctness has taken over everything to the point where you can't make fun of anything. I mean, you make fun of the black folks, you are a racist. You make fun of the Chinese, you're racist. You make fun of the Italians, well, you're godly. <laughs> I'm Italian, I, I get that, you know. Because Italians are white, essentially, almost, sort of. And um, so they're allowed to be made fun of. But yeah, all these other minority groups, Mexicans and so on and so forth. And if you make fun of Buddhists, you know, call them Buddha fat and all that. i, I, I got to say this. i got to say this. Um, <laughs> i got to say this. I, there's a uh, Thai restaurant in town. So, well, Joe, you know what I'm talking about. There's a Thai restaurant in town. And in the Thai restaurant, they have a statue, several statues of uh, idols, uh, of false gods. But they have uh, a statue of Buddha. You know how he is. He's, the guy is a tub, all right? And um, he's sitting there, and they actually cook a meal for that man. Now, when the Thai restaurant first opened up, this, this will kill you, folks. When the Thai restaurant first opened up in our town, they they cooked a full meal for that guy, and it just sits there. Fresh food sits in front of that guy each day, and nothing gets touched. That's their offering to Buddha. Well, um, in fact, so, well, Joe, you, you and I went out to eat just a few weeks ago, and literally they <laughs> get tough at the store. They've cut, that, that restaurant, they've cut the, um, they cut the portion to Buddha in half. They put him on a diet. Now, listen, folks, that's funny to me. In fact, it's ridiculous. Ridiculously funny to me, and I couldn't help but say something. It looks like Buddha's going to have to cut it, cut half of his meal, man. And good grief, he looks like he needs to go on a diet. Okay, now I know that that may sound a little uh, um, condescending, sound like I'm mocking them. That's exactly what I'm doing. Say, is that scriptural though? I mean, these uh, Muslims that we we fondly call them ragheads, camel jockeys. Uh, by the way, folks, I'm from Dearborn, Michigan, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, I, th that's a common thing out there. And they're good, they're good Muslims out there. They're good people. But um, good only um, on the surface, because there's none good, no, not one. Right, I get that. So equality, everybody's a sinner. I do believe that. But is it right to make fun of them, especially these guys that are blowing people away, or at least if they didn't blow them away, they claimed it every time somebody's blown away. They do. Oh, we did that. Terrorist act. Well, we did it. It was us. Now, putting Obama and Eric Holder aside, those guys can't figure out who's a terrorist and whether or not they're Muslim. They don't, they don't know anything, all right? <laughs> they have an agenda. But just putting the politics aside, as a Christian, do we have a biblical example of making fun of other religions? Now, I have been known to do that. But let's look to the scriptures. Is it right? Or should we, in love, feel sorry for them? You know, the guys that just shot those uh, journalists down. Now, <laughs> I'm not sure I feel sorry for the journalists, 
all right? <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should. Okay. If they know Jesus Christ, then they're in heaven. If they don't, I do feel sorry for the judgment that's coming. France, I really don't feel sorry for them either. Now, that's because Frank was kind of ribbing on them before the show. Yeah, so you don't want to know what Frank thinks. Frank will probably just post it uh, in the chat room. But um, should we make fun of these guys? Or should we, with seriousness, sobriety, offer them the gospel of the, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, with patience and love and, uh, and, and, and show them that we seriously understand their plight? All right. And I appreciate that verse, Proverbs 21, 23. That's a good one. But let me show you some verses in the Word of God. Um, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18 in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 in your Bible. The Bible says in verse 25, Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourself, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon, now notice these words, that Elijah, man of God, mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. And they cried aloud, and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets, till the, blush, uh, the blood gushed out of them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded Verse 27, by the way, there's no condemnation from God on this one. This religion is so ridiculous, these guys are literally running back and forth, jumping on top of the altar, calling on some fictitious God, begging for some fire to come down from heaven, and Elijah, the man of God, a prophet of God. Now, by the way, this is a man of God that literally gets carried up to glory in a chariot of fire. He steps back, and the Bible clearly shows us that he mocked them. He made fun of them. Cry aloud, hey, he's a god, come on, you know, either he's talking or he's pursuing, maybe he's just busy, doesn't have time. You better, you guys better start shouting a little bit louder, and they went even further. They cried aloud, they took him seriously. That's the funny thing about this. They, you got to see Elijah laughing at this point. He has got to be rolling on the ground, because he mocks them and tells them to cry aloud, because maybe you know, Baal is death. Or maybe he's so fat he's taking a nap, you know, whatever. And so they listen to him, and they take him seriously, and they begin to laugh. Now, I appreciate the verse in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, because that clarifies the parameters of mocking. Thank you, Solo Joe. That's very good. You see, to mock true religion, to mock the man of God, on the other hand, is trouble. You are in trouble. That's, of course, First, Second Kings chapter two, verse twenty-three to twenty-four. Solo Joe brought up very good. He's jumping ahead of me. The bears ate these kids who made fun of. Now listen, they didn't make fun of his religion. Not that they could. They made fun of his bald head. And I can see why that would be something of um, uh, personal verse to some people. You know, go up, thou bald head, is what Second Kings chapter two, verses twenty-three through twenty-four. They mocked the man of God. They mocked true religion. They mocked the prophet of God. On the other hand, 
Elijah mocked false prophecy, and God gives no condemnation to it. Why? Because it is absolutely that ridiculous. There's such damnable heresy out there, folks, that there's no way of converting, and it literally should bring a chuckle to some of our, to, to, to some of our souls. I mean, some of it is just foolishness, and there's no way you could change them. Just look at the Roman Catholic Church a while, and look at the, uh, the formalism and the foolishness that goes on. The re- vain repetition, calling a man who dresses like mama, papa, right? It's, it's just foolishness. There was actually a situation, you should read Martyr's Mirror sometime, and read about some of these old-time prophets of God. These old-time prophets of God, um, they, these were hardcore preachers. In one particular case, this preacher had literally made mock of a priest in his duties. The priest had got up and then began to formally curse him. Now, the preacher couldn't keep it in. He began to laugh and laugh. Now, of course, it did cost him his life. They burned him at the stake. But the point was is sometimes it just gets your funny bone, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. I say with Islam, they are worth mocking. It's false religion, Roman Catholicism, false religion, and many other religions out there. So, but it, it's just offensive to me. If it's false religion, that's offensive to God. It's offensive to God, and some of it's so ridiculous. I mean, these guys that were dancing around the altar were cutting themselves. They were cutting themselves. I had somebody actually tell me that, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with cutting yourself if it's an addiction and uh, look, folks, if you're demon-possessed or worshiping some false god, if you're cutting yourself on purpose, that's the crowd you're a part of. And that's a little silly. That's silly. Let me give you another example. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Now, if you want to get the idea of what's going on in Judges chapter 6, verses 27 through 31, you'll see that Gideon has been called of God to lead Israel against the Midianites. But he's been told, first of all, to get the idols out. So Gideon takes ten men in Judges 6, verse 27, of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city. He could not do it by day, he did it by night. And what Gideon did was he took the, 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 the statue of Baal, and he pulled it down and destroyed it. The next morning, Judges 6, verse 28, when the men of the city arose in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, well, who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. And the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him. Now listen, just get this for a moment. He says, will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it's yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself because one hath cast down his altar. We have an example in Scripture of mockery towards false religion. On the other hand, true religion, you better hold your tongue. You better hold your tongue. That is the clarification now. That is what God gives us in his word. So I don't have a problem with it at all. These cartoons, unfortunately, these cartoons are being written by men that don't respect God to begin with. So it has no real effect in the grand scheme of things. But I say, as far as the Muslims are concerned, I say, put them all out there, man. Put them all out there. Get all the cartoons out there, and America should put a big old sign right out there on the Internet. Hey, guys, you are ridiculous. 
your religion is ridiculous. What you do to your women is ridiculous. What you do to your people is ridiculous. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You ought to, you ought to take stock and realize you are a laughing stock. You bring your guns over, and we'll get serious then. And they can't. Bring it on. Oh, man. we, we got to talk about that. Oh, good verse, Uncle Nick. Good verse. Proverbs 126. I like that, too. I like that. Oh, man. All right, we'll be right back. Second half broadcast. Stay tuned. in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Country 
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Anthony Garissi, 
growing forehead or no. That's right. I'm Here I am. And this is why it's radio, so you can't see me. And as far as you know, I got this beautiful um, wavy black hair. <clears throat> Italian black hair. Yes. So it's oh, okay. See that? I'm walking in on that one too because they would say that's greasy. It's like when Barber said to an Italian to get his hair cut before he got his haircut. He says, "Do you want a haircut or an oil change?" I can't, I can't help it. I can't. <laughs> uh, anyways, good to have you along with us tonight. Uh, let's talk a little bit about whether or not it's right to mock other uh, religions. And a lot of good stuff has been posted in the chat room. Uh, folks, if you want to see it, jump into the chat room. I see all, everybody that's there. Frank, Italiano 2, that's me, LT, Andrew, KJV, Antioch, J. Uncle Nick, Solo Joe. Good to see everybody there in the chat room. Folks, if you're listening and not in the chat room, you need to be there. I don't have my co-host, Jason Burton, with me. Normally he would say this is the most uh, intelligent chat room on the web. All right? I'm, I'm usually not that kind. But uh, he would, and, and, you know, he tries to encourage people to get in there. Just go to the AmericanVoiceRadio.com, jump in the chat room, give yourself a name, and, uh, you know, you're there. You'd be Solo Joe, Uncle Nick, uh, KJV. I mean, anybody. You, you can be... You can be Burt Reynolds if you want to. And then you could say things at random and not be held accountable for it, unless we know who you are. <laughs> but some good things were said, whether or not we're supposed to as Christians, or excuse me, whether or not we're allowed to mock. And we see examples in the scriptures where believers did mock. They did mock other religions. And yet, at the same time, we do have parameters for that. One, we don't touch... We don't touch true religion. We don't touch the man of God. It's according to Second Kings chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. And that is in a disrespectful way. And, of course, the Bible, and so well, Joe brought this up, and this is very good. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof. So there are parameters for it. There are parameters for it. But at the same time, I say, man, bring it on. As far as the Muslim world is concerned, bring it on. The only problem with this is that our country no longer stands for the Lord. And so when we mock, we don't mock with a foundation in the Scriptures. We mock with an empty spirit. We mock with no real ground to stand on. Because atheism is just as ridiculous and just as damnable as Islam. It's just as ridiculous Roman Catholicism. And this is where our country has, become, has gone. It's, it's, it's become um, atheistic, secular. So, well, whether or not God stands behind us as we mock, that's another story. As believers in Christ, though, because we stand where, uh, on the right foundation, man, I thumb my nose at Islam. And they can, there, you can have that. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not worried about you. I serve somebody that's far stronger, far greater than you. So there. And Muhammad is in the grave, and he is rotted. The worms have eaten his body, and I'm not even sure the bone still exists. And as a soul, the man rots in hell to this day, and he will stand at the great white throne. Yes, Islam, if you're listening tonight, here you go. Your prophet burns in hell. It burns in hell and will one day stand at the great white throne judgment and he will give an answer to his rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and then he will be cast into the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. There you go. It'll like it tough. Not worried. Not worried. Easy for me to say, I suppose, living in America. Praise God for it. There are Christians out there in Iraq that are being beheaded for the cause of Jesus Christ. And for those that have been beheaded for the cause of Christ, I still encourage you to stand true for Jesus Christ out there in the Middle East. The Bible promises a crown for you. It promises a crown for you. You die for the cause of Christ, there's a special crown. It's a crown of life. And it's reserved for those that have shed blood for his cause. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about shedding blood, resisting unto blood. And I'll tell you, it makes this next topic that I'm going to bring up almost seem insignificant. The sacrifices that our brethren are, uh, um, are giving for our Savior, our Redeemer, just makes this next issue pale. It really does, but I'm going to deal with it. And maybe in dealing with it, I can show how foolish believers can be when it comes to the subject of money. When it comes to the subject of the almighty dollar. Now, by the way, folks, you can contact me if you don't approve of my mocking Islam. Uh, you can contact me, pastor at PaysonFirstBaptistChurch.net. That's pastor at PaysonFirstBaptistChurch.net. All right? And uh, Solo Joe, I don't believe you ever had a fro. I just, I just cannot believe you ever had a fro. I'm looking at the chat room, folks. And then uh, LT has to bring up the spare tire. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, you eat all those brats. <sighs> Anyhow, you can contact me, pastor at PaysonFirstBaptistChurch.net. Take your emails. You can even call the church, 928-474-3530, which I encourage you to do if you're interested in attending our 20th Annual Muggion Baptist Fellowship Meetings, which are coming up February 22nd through the 25th. All right, let's get to the subject of finances. I've had a, uh, just a kind of a series of um, uh, interactions with uh, people from the last few months on the subject of money and uh, whether or not our church is handling its finances correctly. And um, one particular man was, uh, called himself a preacher, and I, and I truly believe he was a man of God. He called me up and he says, well, I'd like to come to your church, but um, I'm worried about how you handle your finances. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not going to belittle that preacher in any way. I certainly, I just won't do it, all right, because um, I, I truly love the man, and I'm glad that he asked me the question. He asked it with a sincere heart, and it was, it was good. But he was worried of how our church, Payson First Baptist Church, handled its money in the fact that we only take cash at Payson First Baptist Church. We only take cash. And um, <clears throat> we, uh, we have a box in the back. We don't even pass the plate, folks. And we have one man that counts our money, and the money gets put into uh, a bag, kind of like in the Scriptures. Uh, that's what they did in Second Kings chapter 12 and Second Kings chapter 22. They actually took the money. Second Kings chapter 12, they bored a hole in a chest. They put the money in there, and when that chest got full, they took the money out and put it in bags. And then that money went to repair the breaches in the house of God. And so we've kind of followed that principle of putting a box in the back and what money's come into the church. Now, people get all worried, well, are you taking tithes? No, I'm taking whatever people want to give us. You want to put money in that box? You help yourself. You're not going to force a plate upon you, and we can't take your checks. We can't do that. Now, we have talked many times on this show why we don't have a bank account and why we only take cash in our church. But I asked the individual, why do you think um, 
there's a problem with our finances. And he said, when I, when I answered the door and found out that you could not take a check, he said, um, he said, red flags began to go off. And I said, well, what are the red flags and where did they come from? Because remember, we do everything according to the scriptures. What sets off your red flags, folks? What worries you about a church? And to me, what worries me about a church is where they stand on the Word of God, whether or not they're King James Bible believers, whether or not they're out there trying to tell folks about the Lord Jesus Christ, whether the church is separated, and churches should be separate, whether the children are respectful, uh, how much worldly influence has crept into the church. And every church has to battle, even our church, even me. We have to battle the entertainment of this world. We all have our things that we've got to get over and we, we, you know, we struggle with. And uh, so I want to see a church that's striving to stay pure with the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I see the music changing and I see stuff of that nature where the preaching's no longer right where we're at, the preaching's not out of the book, it's not line upon line, uh, precept upon precept, uh, verse by verse, not Scripture comparing with Scripture, then I would be a little nervous. The finances would be probably very secondary. And here's the re- uh, easy, Frank, easy about the baseball thing, easy. But anyway, uh, the finances, on the other hand, the way I look at it is this. If I were to attend a church, and by the way, I... I was a part of this church, uh, not as a pastor, but just as a Sunday school teacher. And the money I put in the box, I never gave it a second thought as to where it went. And I didn't care, because I gave it unto God. And I figure if the pastor's the man counting it or another man's counting it, then God will take care of them if they're stealing the money. Say, well, I can't have people taking advantage of my money. Listen, if I gave it to God, I'm not worried about it. I'm not talking about taxes. I'm not talking about buying a house. I'm not talking about somebody stealing your money out of your house. You say, well, what if the pastor is stealing money? Listen, if he's stealing money, God's going to get him. And when God gets you, you you're in trouble, man. <laughs> you're in big trouble. But, again, I understand why people are worried about the money. He said, well, the fact that you only take cash... How is that account? How do you hold that accountable? And, and so on and so forth. And so I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know what? He's brought up some good points, and God actually gave me a few reasons why people are worried about cash, why they're worried about people that only do cash, why they're worried about churches that do cash, and why they're worried about the finances in the church to begin with. All right? I'll give you five reasons, five quick reasons in the few minutes that we've got left. Number one, the first reason why red flags and bells and whistles start going off about finances in your heart and mind when you attend a church, number one, is because of culture. It's because of culture. It's not because of Bible, because the Bible simply doesn't teach that a church is supposed to have a bank account. It doesn't teach that. You say, well, you know, if, if you don't have a bank account, then I can't write a check, and, and you know, I it's just... That tells me something. How do we know where that money's going? How do we follow that money trail? Well, listen, if you go to church and you have to have control over everything, then that tells me you're not there for the right reasons. Folks, there's got to be a little bit of trust in the church. If you come to church and you can't even trust the man of God to count the money, you certainly won't trust him to, to preach the word to you. You shouldn't be there to begin with. All right? Well, I don't trust anybody. Well, then you probably shouldn't go to church at all. I hope you trust the Lord, but I dare say most people trust the Lord less than they trust their own abilities to count money. And that's what it really comes down to. It has nothing to do with trusting the Lord. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We don't trust God. Do you think you can, you think you can trust God enough to take care of somebody who's stealing the money? 
Money is a big issue for people. So, oh, I can't stand so many steals. If I catch a man, I'll tell you right now. I... Listen, God can catch him. He always does. You know, after a while, some preachers, the Bible says your sin will find you out. And a preacher's a man of God, he's in trouble, man. He'll get caught, and his downfall will be horrible. It will be horrible. But at some point, you've got to trust somebody. And if that money's not yours to begin with, then you put it in the box and you let God take it to where he wants it to go. That's what it is. Culture has convinced us in our society today that cash is a problem. Culture and our federal government. It's our government propaganda that has convinced people that, well, if you're only doing cash, then there must be something criminal going on. You didn't get it from the Bible. You didn't get it from God. And I did, and in all fairness, I asked that preacher, could you show me in the scriptures where I'm supposed to have a bank account? And he couldn't give it to me. The only verse they give you is, and I'm not being mean or anything like that because a lot of people don't know. The only verse they give you is decency and in order. Let all things be done, decency and order. And I asked him, is there anything that we do that's indecent or out of order? And he couldn't think of anything. Because, I mean, if you were handling the money through a bank account, folks, you can still steal money. It can still be stolen. The point is, it's culture, not scripture. Culture, and culture is not supposed to dictate how the church operates. How much has culture influenced you and your church? People say, well, you know, I, I, it's just it's tough for me. It's tough for me. Well, folks, it's always a sacrifice to give. My boss used to tell me this when I'd complain about work. He'd say, well, for it easy, I'd hire a girl. <laughs> Great, now all the women are getting mad at me, right? Well, come on, folks, it's not a sacrifice until it's a sacrifice, until it's hard. Giving has always been hard. But if we do it out of a cheerful heart, God blesses us for it. He does. He promised he would. So the first reason why people are upset about cash is because of culture. Culture has convinced them that something shady is going on. I mean, what happened to the churches 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when most people didn't even have banking accounts? They say, well, bank accounts and checks, they stem all the way back to the Roman days. Well, I'm sure they did. But, folks, you've got to admit, even in our colonial days, checks weren't as prevalent, and they certainly weren't used for giving to churches. Yes, culture and the world are the same thing. You're right, LT. Amen. Absolutely. Culture has convinced us. Number two, convenience. Convenience is the driving force behind church today. Is there air conditioning? Do you have carpet? How comfortable are your pews? How far is church and how long is your preaching? And most importantly, can I write my check? Listen, folks. It's just as easy to go to the ATM machine and bring out cash or on Sunday or Friday bring the cash out. But convenience is probably the biggest reason why most people don't like it. Cash drives them nuts because it's inconvenient for them. They don't like carrying it around in their pocket, and it's just easier to write a checkbook, write a check out, and put it in the box. It's true. But, folks, again, it's sacrifice. We, we're giving out of the abundance that God has blessed us with, and sometimes it hurts to give a little bit. He says, we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in Romans chapter 12. Convenience should not be the driving force in our churches, and it shouldn't be the driving force 
and you're giving. Now, the elderly generation, Uncle Nick, they, they, they really struggle with this because they have gotten to the point where they're used to writing checks for everything. You ever been in the cash register and you're stuck behind somebody who's got to write a whole check instead of swiping a card or just paying in cash? But even the older generation has to learn sometimes things are inconvenient. Why should it matter if we're giving to God? Number three, got to move quickly. Got to move quickly. Amen. Boy, the verses are good in the chat room. Be not conformed to this world. That's very, very good in Romans 12, verse 2, LT. Thank you very much. The third reason why people struggle with cash being given to the churches is because they're cheap. They're cheap. Here's the reason why. Listen, I have watched older folks take their checks and literally give 10% of their income to the dime. To the dime. Folks, we're beyond tithe. We're New Testament giving, folks. My dad used to tell me this. He says, if you're that cheap that you have to only give 10%, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. We give out of the abundance that God has blessed us with. We're in the center going, well, you know, I, I, got, I, got, uh, I made $268.95. I got to give it down 10% to the t- good grief. Round up every once in a while. But see, if you do cash, you can't do it that way. Or else you're going to have to pull out some change. A lot of Christians are very cheap, very cheap. Come on, folks, if it's that big, if it's that big of a deal, just don't do it. But people will leave the church over that. Number four, here's the biggest reason. It's control. This is why the government doesn't want you doing things in cash. It's control. And it's the same reason why most people won't give cash in a church, because they want to have some hand in what they've just given. Remember, it still belongs to God. If it is his, it's not yours, so get your hands off it. Let it go for crying out. Come on, do you need me to sing some Disney song for you? Let it go. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just sad. That's kind of how people are, though. They're so tight, and they want to have control. Oh, i got to follow this money trail. Are you sure it's going to the missionaries? Well, listen, if it's not going to the missionaries, we're going to have several missionaries that are upset at struggling in the work. And God's not going to be pleased with it. Well, how do we know that this is going to fix the building? Well, watch and see if the building's getting fixed. Better yet, save your money, go buy the parts and fix it yourself. Amen? But a lot of it is out of control. How much control do you have to have of your funds? It should be God that has control over everything. Oh, keep posting the scripture verses, guys. These are good. Second Corinthians 9, 6. Actually, I have that one I was going to use just a minute ago. Uh, ju- just a minute. KJV, thank you very much. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Control. People want to have control over what's going in, over what is God's. It's really not that difficult. And lastly, it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. What do you mean by cop-out? What I mean by that is they just want an excuse not to give or even not to go to church. Can you imagine not going to church because they handle cash instead of checks? Well, that pastor must be stealing. Are you sure of that? So last, this past Sunday afternoon in our church, we, um, I actually had all the men of our church uh, come to services, and I separated the women. The men, women went down and had a, a meeting, and I discussed all the finances with the men. I do this every year, and it's just how everything is done. It's really not that hard. People say, well, how do you budget your money? Well, when there's a need, we put that money to the need. Do you realize if you look at Acts chapter 4, the, the believers in Christ took their money to the apostles, laid it at their feet, and then the apostles distributed it to those that had need. They just distributed it. They had control of it. There was no reckoning, if you would. It was, we trust you, man. We trust you. 
unfortunately, that's just not where we're at today in the church. And our church is really simple. We have missionaries. The money comes in. We give it right. What goes to the missionaries? We give it to the missionaries. We have a building fund. We have a little box for the building fund. What goes in there goes to our building fund. And sometimes we even take it out of the general fund. If there's nothing in the building fund and we've got to repair something, it goes out of the general fund. The money's there. We fix it. People will freak out. Well, you can't use the general fund. I, I had the man that counts our money stand for our church folks, and I said, um, how much do we have left over every month? And he looked at him and says, nothing. We have nothing left over. Everything comes in, pays our electric, gas, water, um, general repairs, paper towels, um, coffee, and some of the things that we have at church, and then that's it. That's done. And 90% of the time, there's nothing left over. Just enough for that month. Say, God doesn't work that way. If you're truly, truly godly, you'd have a savings. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Hey, if you remember, your, if you study your Bibles, you'll, you'll learn a little bit about this thing called manna that God provided the church in the wilderness with. Study your Bible. The manna was enough to get him through each day, not enough for until, until Sunday, or Sabbath, excuse me, not Sunday. Uh, all right, you Seventh-day Adventist, don't get mad at me now. But those, uh, listen, God would give them a little more on Friday so that on the Sabbath they wouldn't have to gather. It's interesting, God, he made it possible for them to actually take part in the Sabbath without having to violate the Word of God. So there was a little left over for his thing. Otherwise, there was enough for each day. And yet there were people that were gathering too much to save, and there were those that didn't gather enough. And, and I mean, it was just a ridiculous thing. They wouldn't listen to Moses. Moses said, you have enough for each day. And sometimes that's exactly how God works. He gives you enough for each day. And I praise God for it. I say, well, what about the salary? What, what does the pastor get? I don't get a salary. I get celery every once in a while. I like celery with a little ranch dressing, sometimes with peanut butter in it. I do like that. I, I I love celery with peanut butter, but sour, we don't have that. It's just not in the scriptures, folks. Uh, we do have a box for me, and what comes into the box, we live off of. And uh, every once in a while, I've got to go pull wire and do some work. Well, we, we need to know what goes into there. Well, I always find it interesting. Those that want to know what the pastor makes are usually the ones that are not willing to tell you what they make. And uh, the interesting. Anyway, who's your God, honey or the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust more? Speaking of trust, Melissa Roxanne comes up next with New World Order Info. You don't want to miss Trust me.
second voice radio network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. (laughs) 